0: East side in the afternoon of a turkey.
1: Exciting live hunts like this. Holy crap, that coming. (laughs) teach you how to cook your bird with advice such as this.
2: With some fresh rosemary and garlic and then cool that off and spread that along the inside of that butterflied turkey breast that we've seasoned on both sides.
1: Wildlife management tips for your property especially with turkeys like this.
0: If you look at the type of habitats that turkeys need for nesting and brooding Thank you for tuning in, and now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number four, five, one, and I am your co-host and the guy who, well, has a couple of different things. Number one, whacked some more gray morning doves and white-winged doves this past weekend and the guy who is fired up about something big 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 Cameron
3: <laughs> It's pretty
1: cool I've never killed a white-winged dove for those common in Alabama
0: They are getting to be much more common in South Alabama huh. So that was kind of cool and they're they're big I mean it's like You pull the breast out of one of those things, and you're like, dang, man, we're having turkey tonight. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not not that big. Maybe not that big. But they're (laughs) big enough when they're flying that I can hit them. So that's exciting.
1: I'll take it. More size on the flight is definitely helpful. Yeah. But I'm your co-host, and I'm the guy who's about to go catch some rays for about four
0: Nice. You're going to Flow Rida?
1: Yeah, we're headed down to Flow Rida, going to... Rosemary Beach, and it's gonna be a fun time. It's my wife, myself, we're taking Josie, and then three other couples who also have well, two of the other couples have a daughter that are within a couple months of Josie's age, and one other couple who is expecting twins, actually. So nice. it'll be a really fun time. We all rented a big house to get, should be a big time.
0: The kids that'll
1: will be, be playing big time,
0: yeah, that'll be a blast,
1: yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. We leave out in the morning do that, and then get back and get serious about what we're talking about on the show today.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah. Listen
1: I I back.
0: didn't mention that episode 451 is fall turkey hunting with Roger Parks. So, you know, if yeah. I were going to redo the intro, and I'm not, I would <laughs> say 451, fall turkey hunting with Roger Parks. So
1: Yeah, which it sucks. So don't listen to this episode, because fall turkey hunting sucks. So, no,
0: no, 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 no. Listen to the episode, but don't do it.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because, it's a pretty terrible thing. It's just awful, you know. Continue yeah. chasing woods carp religiously. It's way more fun sitting over the food plot, waiting on bullwinkle to walk out. Keep
0: mm-hmm. it up. Oh yeah, you're right. You're you right.
1: said you're fired up. You got a prescribed burn in, in order, or what are you fired up about?
0: No, but that would that would be a pretty good guess. I'm fired up. So you and I've been doing a little planning for the future of the turkey hunter podcast and i'm fired up absolutely so big things hopefully coming yeah you know rolling coming out of turkey season we're just tired i mean loving it you know loving the fact that that we had a good or had good seasons but physically mentally tired and then you have the whole i'm tired but i would go in the morning if it were legal.
3: Oh, yeah.
1: I'd go right now.
0: <laughs> and get another fix, you know? But then there's that whole depression thing that kicks in that's there for a while. And so, you know, I'm glad that we did the every other week thing during the summer. It gave us to get an opportunity to get some really good content prepared oh, for next turkey season so that we don't do a repeat of this past turkey season and miss a week or miss two weeks or something like that. And so... I'm glad we did that. But yeah. coming out of that, I mean, we're close now. We are we are within six months, like right at six months from Alabama's opener. Yeah. Um, But, you know, it's still six months. And so coming out of the every other week being off, it's just kind of summer doldrums. You know, your dove season started, so that's kind of fun. But you're just kind of yeah. in between, you know.
1: Yeah, hunting seasons are starting to kind of roll in one at a time though. So.
0: Yeah, and Put so and
1: watch cool weather hitting. It's just
0: getting getting to be a
1: better time of year.
0: It's a good time for me and you to be planning, doing some planning for the future of this show. And there's yes. good things in store. We're we're cooking up some goodness, and I'm fired up about it.
1: That's that is true. We'll we'll have more on that soon, but we're we're committing to a new level to the show essentially and, and gonna really try to focus on it. So this little bit of break we got through these past couple months has been big for both of us and we're about to hit it running. And we're, we're starting off kind of back with our weekly schedule with an insanely good show. Yes. Even though Falter again, sucks. Roger's <laughs> a great guest. So
0: <laughs> we're yeah. going to
1: split this into two shows because we couldn't get off the phone with him. It was too interesting. So that's one thing, you know, if, we're not Joe Rogan. We're not going to do three-hour so Oof. We're going to do 45-minute to an hour podcast max. And so we're splitting this one into two shows. So the next two weeks, you're going to get the Fall Turkey Spectacular right before fall turkey seasons are starting to come in in most places in October. And Roger Parks is a wealth of knowledge on he that is. subject. And he is, like, literally one of the only guys who manufactured a pot-and-peg-style call specifically for gobbler talk absolutely i mean he may be the only one that i know he that may would, be. there's probably plenty of them who are like up in the appalachian mountains who've never told a soul you know but outside of them
3: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but he's the only this, one who
1: actually sell you one
0: <laughs> this is good and you know we say this is a fall turkey hunting episode and it is yeah. way but, more than that though it's way more than that, and you really have to, because it's mixed in so much with just general turkey talk and spring turkey talk, and so you've got to listen and pay attention, and I will promise you're going to come away with some nuggets on this one. You're going to be like, dude, y'all got to have Roger back on.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we quit just hyping it up and actually let people listen?
0: I don't know. Let's talk about Roger some more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> We'll see you guys on the other side.
0: Hey, everybody. Cameron and I are glad to tell you we have on the line with us tonight Mr. Roger Parks, who is a wonderful turkey call maker. And Roger's in Pennsylvania. So that's a great state. Lots of really good turkey call makers from that state. Lots of really good turkey callers. Pennsylvania had geez, probably six of the 10 contestants from the, in the NWTF Grand National Championship. So there's some folks in Pennsylvania know a little bit about turkey hunting, and we're going to pick Roger's brain today about some fall turkey hunting. And that's something that Roger does a good bit of, but he also makes a, well, he makes a lot of really fine turkey calls but one in particular is something we had a seminar that he hosted on the show earlier this year and that is his gobbler call so i've rambled on enough here roger how are you sir i'm doing good good so what part of pa are you in remind me on that please
2: central pa i'm in uh, about 45 minutes from the capital of Harrisburg, and about 45 minutes from uh Penn State University.
3: Okay, Central. Where,
2: right. where, where would be what we call South Central region in PA?
1: Yeah, yeah. Very nice. How That's... how long you been making turkey calls?
2: Oh my! I really started uh, my own stuff about ninety ninety two. I was when Dee Dee passed away and Dee, Dee Adams passed away in in uh, nineteen eighty eight. The year after that, uh, Harold Shields took over the Tuscarora Legend line, and I was his first salesman. Him and I did shows together through 89, 90, 91, and, and then, of course, 90, in the early 90s, I got married and had a couple kids and stuff, and I got away from uh, Harold a little bit. And then when I got back into it, I I started tinkered around with my own stuff. I always tinkered around with a little bit of stuff. Some of the calls that he built and sold, I designed that over and under. I was the first one to put the hole in the bottom of the call for him and stuff, and that was his, his top-selling call at that time and stuff. But I did a lot of stuff for him. As um, hmm. actually, a lot of people might not know this, but back at that time where I worked at, we did a lot of outdoor furniture benches and stuff. And, and I found some scrap lumber down there one time that we used to put in bench slats and I made strikers out of it. As far as I know, that was the first purple heart striker that I ever seen. And I know that it was made of now just about everybody uses purple heart for some reason on box call lids or stuff like that there. So, I mean, that's where it started out at because at the time we sold hundreds of them things and we didn't tell anybody what it was, but it didn't take them long to figure it out. Right. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. now everybody wants a diamond wood striker, you know, so that's just how yeah. things evolved over the years,
0: mm-hmm. you know, it, it's interesting. But, you I mean, know. that's
2: when I, that's when I started making calls very close to that same time period, around 92 to 94. I, I knew DD Dee Dee had made a call to call fall gobblers. Mm-hmm. I had, I had one in my possession, but actually said on the bottom of it, gobbler call. But I only know of three that exist that I've seen that were made like that. Now, I didn't purchase one of them from Dee. I was able to buy one um, through another, another guy that had had one. But I've only actually seen three of them that Dee actually signed a gobbler call on the back. Now, the funny thing of it was, is all three of those calls were double glass calls in the old flower pot bottom and they were a pretty thick call from top to bottom when i started doing that gobbler call i did 10 versions glass and slate and when i narrowed it down to my final three calls all three of them were slate i could not get a glass to work and when i narrowed it down to those three calls i picked the one out of the three that i thought had the right stuff And then I sent those three calls to a good friend of mine in New York that knew what a gobbler yelp was and and knew how to hunt fall gobblers. At that time, Mm -hmm. not too many guys would even give me any information. But when I sent them three calls to him, I said, you pick the one out. And when he called me, he picked the exact same call
3: Mm. that
2: I had picked. And so I knew I had what I needed. Matter of fact, that was right before fall turkey season when I sent them to him. And about three weeks later, he took that same call, went out, called four longbeards and killed one with it. So that was the start of me doing stuff as far as putting gobbler yelps and gobbler stuff in wow. and You know, I had built back in the early nineties and back in the on DD stuff. I had built key strikers to run on D's Dee calls and I don't know for sure I mean I know I I know back in the early 90s I was selling key strikers and I don't know of anybody that was building a striker to key on a friction call with back at that time period and mm-hmm. I did them on a glass call similar on item style pot back in and of course that all evolved into the the aluminum disc and stuff right now now Kiki key key running a friction contest is a pretty much a standard colony. Yeah. You know, but that gobbler stuff started, you know, for me back in the early nineties and, and I've tweaked and perfected it and made changes. Most of the changes, once I had the pot figured out, the hard part was getting a striker to do it and to do it consistently. And the one that we did the, uh seminar on Unicoi and did that podcast with was the final result of everything that I've been working and messing with for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I really didn't, I mean, I've done it just through word of mouth, but I really did not push the issue as far as gobbler stuff and put it out there. But when we did that podcast, <laughs> I, I know you have seen the number of views and stuff that that thing has, but I know what I sold from calls since January the 15th until now it's been pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I mean yeah. it's been a, it, and the word's out now. I mean, I know I know last fall before we did the podcast was the first year I sold that double-sided calf and I don't know exactly the numbers that I sold last fall, but I will tell you this. I got 12 pictures from 12 different guys of dead L. Galvers that were killed last fall and so first year that call was out on out to the public you know when you get results back from 12 dead fall gobblers that's that's pretty remarkable i don't care who's making the call
1: yeah yeah that's
2: and so i i knew i had something that was that was good not only you can do jake yelps uh gobbler yelps uh it's got good hen stuff in it and and it's got a phenomenal gobbler cluck in it. You know, I saw the four strikers, but it's been, it's been really good. And in, in that particular style of call, a lot of people, you know, uh, being that it's in a plastic pot and stuff, a lot of people turn into one well, ain't wood. It ain't no good. Well, I got news for you. There'd been a lot of turkeys died with that particular style of call in 30 years.
3: Yeah.
1: I don't mind. I don't mind playing not wood. If if it means a turkey comes to
2: <laughs> Well, Well, that, that's just good. That, you know, it's, it's like. My, my buddy in new york that i sent that original call to he told me he he would take a garbage can and a ball bat and every time he hit that garbage can with that bat a turkey would gobble he'd take it to the woods if it worked every time and that's pretty much you know you know my philosophy too um i always said that results was what's important not not you know the stuff you're and right and um You know, I've done I've done very, very well with that call and that particular style call in thirty plus years. You know. And um, you know, I make changes on it internally. Um each piece of slate that goes into that call is sanded down and mic'd for a reason to get particular sounds out of it, you know. Um I was always a firm believer when it came to a turkey call, if I didn't have a key in a turkey call, it was, it was useless. And I still feel that same way today, you know, um, cause mostly everything that I've built, I've done different than most people. I set everything up for fall hunting because I want more sounds than that turkey call, which you have more sounds that you're going to deal with in the fall than what you ever will in the spring,
3: yeah.
2: you know, and what I found out through the years And, and this has been a fact and I can give you names and phone numbers of the guys that I've hunted with in the South. And every time I go down there, I usually do very well on birds. And what I'm killing them with is probably stuff that they don't hardly hear coming from a hunter and that's gobbler stuff.
3: Yeah. And it's like,
2: I like, you know, it's like I said in that seminar, you know, um, A guy said to me one time, what's the most important thing in spring turkey hunting? And of course, they all, everybody said, well, mating, mating's number one, you know, which, you know, it's hard to not argue that point. But I never looked at it that way. That's not number one in my book because I know what happens all year round with gobblers and it's dominance. It's, it's, It's like I said in that seminar, you ever raise chickens and you got one rooster doing all the breeding? Bring another rooster into that hen house and see what happens. <laughs> Turkey's not any different than chicken. There's gonna be a fight on your head, and and that's why I think that dominance thing is is what's worked so well with me in the spring. I I sort of chuckle when guys say, "Well, their hens up they ain't doing nothing." Because the hens are with throw some gobbler yelps them, see what they wanna do, you know. And that, and it's what's worked for me over the years,
1: mm, you know. Right. Yeah. Do and you- like
2: I said, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say, do you just gobble or yelp, or you ever throw some gobbles at them in the spring? I, I, I do, I do
2: put some gobbles in with them sometime. I, I don't like to do it in the spring because of of hunting pressure, you know. Yeah. Um, around here, and I hunt mostly public ground. I, I wouldn't even think about doing it because you just never know when somebody's gonna. You know sneak in on it sneak in on you stuff like that that. but but for safety reasons i don't do a whole lot of it and that's one of the reasons why i gobber yelped uh because you know sometimes if you gobble you can get another bird to gobble back at you where that you can locate them or stuff like that there but i was always leery of that situation of doing it in the spring. Now, when I do do a lot of it, since we don't have near the hunting pressure in the fall, like we used to, a lot of times I'll Jake yelp and throw gobbler yelps or throw gobbles in with my Jake yelps and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing in the fall, I don't do a whole lot of mature gobbler yelp. Um, Mm -hmm. I mostly do like a two note Jake key and and, and Jake yelps because what I'm doing in the fall is I'm not only calling in uh birds that would be two year olds next spring maybe have six seven inch beards. but I'm also calling them mature birds in the fall with just jake yelps. Now I don't do a whole lot of jake yelping in the spring because of if you ever get in a place where you got a gobbler that's been terrorized by a group of jakes, he ain't gonna want to mess with that there. So in the spring I do mature mature gobbler yelps more so in the spring.
3: Yeah.
1: Huh.
2: And I stay away I stay away from jake yelps.
1: Yeah. Well wow. that's pretty interesting. And you will throw a little Jake gobble in there at them every now and then in the fall.
2: Every once in a while in the fall, I do a lot. I do a lot of that. I mean, I, I carry a box that that's got that's got some pretty good gobbles to it and stuff. I I wish I could. I never really spent the time on a tube car or something like that. It's got really got a good gobble, but I got a good box that I gobble with. A lot of times what I do is I'll run them Jake yelps to go through some series of Jake yelps and then grab that box and throw a gobble in behind it. And that's been very effective for me in the fall. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, if you catch birds coming off the roost in the fall and if, if they're, you know, a group of gobblers, a lot of times every now and then you'll get that, half Jake gobbler or something like that there. And that's, like I said, that's very effective in the fall. But like I said, I stay away from doing any kind of gobbling in the spring just for, just for safety
3: reasons.
1: Yeah, that's a good, good point. You, I think every time I've talked to you, you've mentioned D.D. D. Adams. And I know probably several of our listeners, especially younger ones, might not know exactly who that is. Would you mind telling us a little bit about D.D. D. Adams?
2: Well, anything, the term pot call, that's where it started, was with D.D. D. And basically the term pot call, what that, the original slate turkey call combinations, they were made, Dee, Dee made them off of a watering tray that was on the bottom of a flower pot. And those were detachable back in the 80s and early 90s. Now you find them black plastic ones that are molded, but that watering tray would unscrew from the bottom of them flower pots and then he would put them on the lathe and cut them down to put his top Slater glass in. But they had little steps in the bottom of them where they screwed onto the bottom of that flower pot. And that's what he set his soundboards on. And, you know, he was a he was the first one to put a soundboard in a turkey call. So basically what we have today, everybody has copied off of that design. I don't care who you are. If you're building a double, you're putting a call with a soundboard in it. It's hmm. it's basically what Dee Dee done and he had that patented in nineteen eighty with the uh, original double slate and then in the mid eighties he had the glass call patented. So basically every modern pot call has come off of his original design and that's you know, at Nashville the pot call category and the call makers thing is named after Dee Dee, you know, so that's that's where that all started. But he was uh he was way ahead of his time. Um, guys that are laminate strikers and stuff now. I got laminated strikers that he done in the '80s. Um, you know. Uh, he was really big. I mean, he was the first guy I ever know that I ever seen that put shotguns on us or put scopes on the shotguns. Uh, he was pretty up on shotguns and ballistics of what shotguns would do back at that time period. And a lot of things that he'd done back then, guys are just figuring out right now. Um, he was, he was way ahead of his time. If, if he didn't, if he didn't like something, he would fix it and make it right. He was an innovator when it came to, to stuff like that there. And like I said, I learned a lot from, um, mm-hmm. wouldn't tell me a whole lot about fall gobblers and stuff because most of those guys at that time period were tight lipped about anything when it come to that, because they didn't want anybody else in the woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they, at that time, them guys knew what they were doing. They had it to themselves, but I didn't get a whole lot of gobbler stuff out. Um, but I did towards the end and stuff, but, um, I, I owe a lot to that guy because like I said, uh, that's what got my interest in Turkey hunting was him.
1: Hmm. And we're, I mean, back then I would assume like when, when DD was in his prime, there there probably was just as many, if not more fall hunters in Pennsylvania than, than spring.
2: Oh my goodness, I mean, back at that time when I started on opening day, uh, that was the only thing that came in. It was, you know, our bow season ended October, the last Saturday in October, so the following Saturday was the first day of turkey season. Small game came in at the same time, but there were still quite a few guys that hunted small game, but turkey hunting was, but I can remember going down dirt roads. We never hunted the first day. Uh, We scouted the first day. Because when you'd go down a down a dirt road and you've seen seven, eight vehicles pulled into a place, that was the day you went and hunted the next day because
3: That's we knew the head,
2: we, we, they We let the guys do, Dad and I would let the guys do the workforce. They'd go in there and they'd scatter the turkeys. And then we'd go in there when everything settled down and then, <laughs> you know, do our part. <laughs> and like I said, you know, Dad, Dad said, well, you know, the, we know they're there and we know what's going on. Why go in there and... And, uh, you know, be the first ones that we let everybody else do the work. And then we went in there and, uh, hunted the day after or so and stuff. And th- that always worked out now. Good luck <laughs> because I mean, I mostly hunt public ground. I don't see anybody fall turkey out anymore. Yeah. And I know our game commission throws these numbers up of fall harvest. It's a bunch of BS because I think I might've seen one guy running a turkey call on public ground around here in the last five years. I mean, basically, you know, our archery season is in the first two weeks of November, which is our rut, which is when our turkey season's in in the fall. Most of these guys are up a tree. Um, I'm one of the few exceptions. I mean, I know most of the guys that I know that are diehard fall turkey hunters are in their 70s and stuff. It's a, it's a dying breed, so this is what it what basically is. There's Like I said, there's not a whole lot of guys that do it. But, you know, guys say to me, said, well, how do you kill a fall gobbler every fall? I said, because I ain't setting in a tree, you know, <laughs> and and, yeah. and it's the truth. Now, I'm I'm pretty fortunate that I got some good, good buddies that are diehard bow hunters and stuff. And so when I'm turkey hunting and I see a good buck in an area, I put them on that deer. But then the opposite thing is, is when they're sitting in a tree and a group of gobblers walks by them and they hear them fly up, you know, we, we sort of pay each other the privileges of knowing what's going on? You know what I mean. You know it's one yeah. of them deals. You scratch, you scratch your back. I'll scratch my, you know, yours, and you scratch mine. You know, so it works. It works out. Heck, but like yeah. I said, I mean, I mean, I the only reason I bow hunt the early part of October and don't tell my wife this is, is so that I can go to the woods and scout for gobblers. I can mm. care less about shooting a deer. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah,
2: but it's it, it's my time that. It's my time to get into woods and do a little bit of scouting. What I mainly look for is, is a good food source at that time. You know.
0: Yeah. Do you think that most of the fall birds that are harvested in PA are harvested by people who are, who are in a tree stand and are hunting deer, and that just well, so happens turkey comes by? I
2: I know I know a few years ago. I mean, we used to be able to hunt with a rifle in the fall and about three, I think it was about three years ago, they, they stopped the rifle hunting in the fall. Yeah. And that made, that made a lot of guys mad. And I was never, I was never for hunting with a rifle in the fall, even though, uh, DD hunted with a combination, a few years I hunted with a combination.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: the, the only reason, one of the main reasons at that time that I hunted with a combination was, is I I never, I only ever shot one turkey with a rifle in the fall. I didn't get no enjoyment out of it, but what that rifle was good for, you know, you get a flock of turkeys and you have to your shotgun to scatter them. A lot of times you don't get a good break, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, you just, you just never knew what you were going to get when you shot that shotgun in the air three times, but I will tell you this, you got a flock of turkeys at 75 and a hundred yards. And you crack that rifle over top of that flock, there's something them birds hear off that sound of that bullet. And they scattered much better <laughs> when you shot over top of them with a rifle than what you ever would with a shotgun. And so, you know, that was one of the reasons why I carried a combination at that time. But my main deal was when I was using that combination was as I was strictly hunting gobblers, you know. Yeah. And uh, but that was the advantage of carrying a rifle. But they 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 took that out of they eliminated that three years ago, and with the population being down, our numbers being down the last six years, what they done was is they finally kept track over three years. They kept track of the harvest on their report cards, and they seen that thirty six percent of our birds that were shot in the fall were shot with a rifle. Mm-hmm. And you know it goes back to where. I'm hunting every day on public ground, and i seen one guy in five years carrying a turkey call. Now, now, those numbers aren't there like they were back in the 80s. But here's the thing, and I worked with about eight or nine of these guys, serious bow hunters. But they get a day where it's raining, and they can't get up a tree, and they were off that day, so they jump in their pickup, and they drive around, and they try to catch birds out in the field. Mm-hmm. And that's where your rifle equations were coming in. That's not a turkey hunter, that's an opportunistic guy,
0: right,
2: and that's one of the reasons you know I just can't understand why this state is one of the very few states that does not have a turkey hunting license where you got to buy a turkey hunting license to kill a turkey they they You get a fall license with your regular hunting license when you buy it. Now you yep. you know your spring that includes your spring license, but you only allow one bird on your spring license. But you can purchase a second tag. But every other state around Pennsylvania that I've hunted has a turkey hunting license. But this state, for some reason, is they're very set in traditions. They don't have a turkey hunting license. But yeah, you know. Tennessee
1: same way. We just we have a big game license, and you get you know however many deer and however many turkeys that means.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But like I said, you know, that's, that was the main reason that they, they stopped doing the rifle things and stuff, which myself, I was glad to see it because I don't, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I'm, I'm glad I don't even know, but I'm sure there's been a few times where I've been going through the woods and somebody's been looking through a scope to see what it was, you know,
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: um, you know, and, and I've been told, um, I don't know. Whether it's ever going to happen or not. But as far as uh, archery hunting for turkeys, as far as in the fall in this state, I know one time, at one time, it used to be in our game law books that you were not allowed to shoot from an elevated platform for mm-hmm. turkeys. Now it's not in there now, but I've heard rumors through the grapevines Which you know, when they legalize crossbows and stuff, you know, that they're, they're keeping an eye on this percentage of. How many birds that's being shot with crossbow? Because you say say sixteen percent of your birds in the fall are being shot with crossbows. Well, that's a pretty good number. sixteen percent. But how many of them sixteen percent that's been shot at that guys didn't recover? hmm You know? So I don't want I don't want to see them eliminate anything. I mean, as far as the rifles, crossbows, or anything like that there. Because then you're taking numbers of hunters out of the woods. That's the only drawback of that stuff. And right now we need as many hunters as we get. You know, with the way things are nowadays. But I was I was not upset that they eliminated the rifles around here in the fall. You know.
0: Just out of curiosity's sake, were you when you were using a combo gun? What what were you using? Was it Savage?
2: Actually, what well actually what got me in started on them was was Dee had a drillings a three barrel yep. double twelve 12 with a with a 30 30 and <laughs> nice. that's what he hunted ball turkeys with and i was able to buy that gun from him i oh, i have man. his original drillings
3: awesome. and
2: um i hunted with it for about five years and I, every turkey i shot with it um i shot with a shotgun and it had a it had a hammer a lever on the one side of it that you would push down to to set the rifle barrel, and there was a little pin that popped up. Is that that was your indicator to know that that uh, that you had it on rifle? And right. I, I mean, I remember this day like it was yesterday. But it was pretty cold that morning. It was in the teens, and I never had any trouble with that gun. And I called a flock in, and there were some gobblers in it. And I went to shoot the shotgun, they were close enough to kill with the shotgun, and when I went to shoot the shotgun, it snapped on me. It didn't fire so by that time they they had recognized something wasn't right and um, so I went to the hammer on the rifle because I didn't get them broke, so I wanted the hammer on the rifle to scatter them and it snapped again mm. and I'm thinking, well, it ended up I didn't get enough and um but I had seen mostly what was in that flock and stuff. So I thought, well, that ain't really what I'm looking for. So I continued on that that same morning hunting. And about two hours later, I was on top of the mountain. And what I do up here, our mountains have got benches in them. So I'll get up on top where I can slip out the brown, look down over. And a lot of times you'll catch them turkeys scrap on them benches. Well, when I popped out over, there was a big old long bear down there about 75 yards too far for the shotgun. But I thought, you know what, I've been carrying this thing six years for this moment. So I thought, well, I'll try this rifle. (laughs) So I leaned up there and when that thing went off, the turkey flew off the side of the mountain and I never touched him. And I mean, I don't usually, I don't usually miss a shot like that there. But after I shot, there was a big tree blow down, down there still had the leaves on it. Well, here, there was about six or more long birds in behind that. So when I shot, they scattered like crazy. And and I'm standing there trying to figure out what the hell just happened. How did I miss? <laughs> and I reached up and touched my forehead because I felt, you know, mm-hmm. heat in my forehead. And when I did, the blood started flying. Mm-hmm. And uh, to make a long story short, about an hour later, I got everything stopped bleeding. But um, to make it a long story short, what had happened was is that, that gun had two triggers on it. The front the front trigger was for the modified barrel on the shotgun, but the back trigger was the full choke barrel on the shotgun, but it also controlled the rifle. And like I said, I had clicked it to, sit, to shoot the rifle. The only thing I can figure that I done was, is I double-fingered them triggers. In other words, yeah. I put one on the front trigger and one on the back fr- trigger when I shot, mm-hmm. and the recoil of the gun set one of the shotgun barrels off, <laughs> and set the rifle barrel off at the same time. Now you take a two and three quarter inch twelve gauge with a thirty thirty round and you <laughs> squeeze both of them off, you have a feeling what's gonna happen. And it did. It broke my nose in two places and stuff and
1: Oh man. And Dang.
2: uh anyways, but when I seen them other gobblers and I had 'em split, I went down and down there and I sat down there. Of course, you know, They didn't cooperate right away, but about 430, about a half an hour before fly up, I'm sitting there and and I had been doing some gobbler yelping and stuff. And after a bit, I heard that just that plain gobbler Mm clock. And when I heard it, normally when you hear it like that the first time, you don't know what direction, unless he's right in front of you, you can pinpoint that. But I knew it was, I thought it was either to my backside or my right side, but when I heard it, it it's close. And so... I didn't move and then I caught movement and here he comes walking in front of me. And I shot him with a shotgun and it was a mature, mature long beard and stuff. But you know, them Quaker boy, three quarter head nets and stuff that had the wire band in them. Yeah. Well, when I got that bleeding stuff stopped from the initial uh, head, headbutt, I sat there the rest of the day with that head net on and where that scab was on my nose and stuff you know, that it stopped the bleeding and stuff. Well, that head nut was stuck to that. So oh, when I, yeah. oh my it, when I shot the gun, you know what my first reaction was to jerk that head net down yeah. oh. and when I, and when I did that trauma started again, but you know, that was, I'll put it to you this way. That was the last day that that gun was in the woods. I had a Tika that I had an over and under combination t- gun to, I yeah. sold it and I I got to thinking, you know, I never had any trouble killing them with a shotgun. Matter of fact, I think you're better off with a shotgun um, because I know there was many a times when I hunted with that drilling, when I busted birds, I'd fire the shotgun and then a bird would come running by you or fly over top of you and and there you were. You didn't have another shell, you know. Right. So you'd react and stuff, but like I said, after, after two breaking my nose twice and and stuff like that there that was the end of me for for using the drill yeah I hope
1: you have that beard and set of spurs displayed nicely somewhere because you earned him <laughs>
2: yeah oh yeah 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 well you know like i said uh the the repercussions and all that stuff um came the following monday when i went to work and when i come home here to her you know um <laughs> I, I she told me at the emergency room when i was going to because that's about like the seventh trip that I've been to the emergency room with hunting related injuries and she said, When are you gonna give this stuff up? And I said, When are you gonna quit hollering me about giving it up?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, that was just one that was the end of the, the three barrel and the drillings and, and you know, stuff like that there. I I went back to uh the old shotgun then.
0: Yeah. Those drillings are really, really neat guns well when i when
2: i bought it when i bought it from uh dd's Dee nephew
0: and i and i remember him
2: saying this and said you're gonna screw up with that well you know after five or six years you know i never had no problems with it well he was right and you know i's uh i a uh, thinking man's gun, has and, and in the heat of the moment i wasn't thinking
0: <laughs> yeah and it, it is what you said you know you've got so much to it and you know for most of us like me I could take my my 12 gauge I call my 12 gauge turkey gun I call black death you could blindfold me give me three shotgun shells and that gun you could probably cut off every one of my fingers and I still you know I'd be able to work that gun like it was nobody's business
2: no, that's the same that's the same way I mean I, I I took a crossbow killed my first bird early and I took a crossbow out because I'd never shot a spring gobbler with my crossbow yeah and i and i killed one that morning and i come home and my oldest son said well that's pretty good you know getting one with a crossbow or whatever especially when you're using an arrow and stuff and i said yeah but i said and i didn't enjoy it i said i didn't i didn't get no excitement out of it i didn't enjoy he said what do you mean i said there's something about that gun going boom (laughs) and and the smell of gunpowder that gets you excited Yes, it is. And that's that's what I missed about, you know, and I haven't taken a crossbow or a bow out since that. You know, some guys are different, but to me, I like that gun going off.
0: Yeah. yeah and, you, uh, you'd laugh at me. I I do it when I'm turkey hunting. Of course, I hope to not shoot as much, but you'd have laughed at me. Oh, Saturday, a couple of weeks ago, on a dove shoot, shoot a shell, and I'd pick up the hole and take me, take me a hit off of it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, there ain't no butter smiling out there especially <laughs> if the end especially if the end results are good yeah, yeah. That's
0: absolutely that's right that's
1: yeah. right you were so, telling me on the phone the other day a little tip about some beach nuts for the year you care to share that well
2: well from what i was told by another hunting buddy of mine he said there's beech nuts this year and i think the last we had some was about three years ago but you don't, get them, you don't get them every year. Mostly, you're lucky to get them once every five years. And from what I've read on them, biologists and stuff don't know why they don't produce every year. It's it's an unknown fact, you know, where, where you only get them once every five years. But if you get a beech nut and you know where there's beech nuts now, New York State has got thick stands of beech. Northern part of PA does around here. You got beaches here and there, but they're more spread out more. But if you got beach nuts, you're gonna find turkeys there. That they love them things. I've seen turkeys go across pick cornfields in New York State that had corn laying on the ground. Now granted, they'll pick up they'll pick as they're going through it, but mm-hmm. if they're heading to a stand of beach, they'll totally you know they'll almost ignore that cornfield. And once you once they get in on that beach, they won't leave that beach until it's gone. I mean, it is a high, high... I don't know of anything that they like better than beech nuts, put to you that way, because it's a main food source when, when when, it's... And, you know, even on years that you don't have beech, around here you got a beech tree every 20, 30 yards, you know. They'll always be turkey scratching underneath that year, underneath them beech trees every year, because mm-hmm. they go to them beach just to see if there is beech nuts there. But when you, when you get them... A year where there's beach nuts, that's one year that I don't have to do a whole lot of scouting to find gobblers because eventually they're going to be on them. If you spend enough time in there, you're going to catch them on them beach nuts at one time or another. And the the thing of it is, if there's enough of them, they'll stay there more than one or two days on them beaches. Like I said, they will not leave them till all them are gone. Mm.
3: Another thing that
2: hit them, another thing that hits beach nuts pretty hard too. If there's a lot of them is, is black bear, black bear will hit them beach nuts pretty quick too.
3: Really? Yep, yep.
1: Okay. If I see one of those in West Tennessee on a on a beech tree, I'm going to be really shocked.
2: <laughs> well, around here, they're pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's good info. I
1: bet a lot of folks will be coming back for part two.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And good info, and part two is just as good. Great stories. Love kind of hearing the history behind how people got going. You know, people have been doing it a long time. It's cool to hear that. And the people who were involved in his life, like getting him going with all that, D.D. Adams. Yeah. All the names he talked about, it's pretty interesting.
0: And you know, that's some of the cool stuff you get at Unicoi. Yes. Yeah. Some of these guys, I mean, grew up around some turkey hunting legends and turkey call making legends. And so, you know, to to sit around and just listen to the stories that they tell and pick up on the knowledge that they have is more than worth the price of admission which by the way is free just hyping (laughs) up unicoy a little bit there but one of the hidden benefits of unicoy is that and being able to chat with guys like roger parks i mean there's just there are too many of them there who are just deeply rooted in turkey hunting turkey calling turkey call making too many of them to mention. So.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things I love about turkey hunting is you have these characters from our history and past that are like legendary turkey hunters, and I feel like you don't have that as much with other sports, at least and yeah. hunting in general.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, you think of deer hunting, and my mind more goes more so to bow hunting and Fred Bear.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Fred Bear duck hunting of like phil robertson you know
0: yeah chuck adams again Bo. yeah so i mean there, they're like i don't know
1: that's part of the you know we talked we've talked about the mystique of turkey that's I'm it just, those like legendary you know guys who didn't tell anything you know maybe wrote a book towards the end of their lives with the stories it's just it's cool it's a cool club to be in when you're one of those people
0: <laughs> yeah no doubt so yeah no but good yeah.
1: stuff, man. Great episode. We hope you guys will tune back in next week. I can promise you, especially next week, so I think we get a little more into a couple of stories about spring. And mm-hmm. I can promise you, even if you're not a fall turkey hunter or you're in a state like Arkansas or North Carolina, well, North Carolina may have this fall season. I can't remember all the ones that don't. But if I you don't know, think
0: Carolina's really too.
1: Well, if they don't then you can still learn something for spring. Because I can promise you the tactics and stuff he talks about are just as usable in spring under certain circumstances. Yeah. Because like he said, I think he said in part one, you know, you got one rooster with all the hens and then you put another rooster in there, they gonna duke it out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a great point. No matter how many hens are around, he's gonna defend. Yes, indeed. It's uh, pretty cool to do that with a call instead of other methods for sure. But do you have a favor of the week?
0: Favor of the week, you know, there are events going on where you can participate and help support research for the wild turkeys. And I say support those causes, whether it's an NWTF banquet, a TFT banquet, or some fundraising event like Cameron put on a few weeks ago. Yeah. Attend those and open up your wallet. I mean, if we don't take care of these critters that like to gobble and strut, drum, then there's going to be no more Turkey Hunter podcast. And who wants that? (laughs) That's the most important part. Yes, it's depressing. So Uh. seriously, you know, I really, I feel like we're making a little progress on the lines of research and in the in the lines or, you know, I I would say maybe my level of hope for turning around the decline in wild turkeys in the populations in a lot of states. So let's continue to, to kick in and support, promote and do what we can for the sport. You know, we're taking more turkeys just as a group of turkey hunters. We are taking more turkeys out of the population each year and we need to do more and work harder to bring the populations back. So support, fact. open up wallets. And what the heck, you know, the weather's cooling off. It's getting nice outside. Go set up some dog-proof traps, some live cages. If it's legal in your state right now, and start working on some nest predators. It Absolutely. never hurts.
1: Yeah, so, great, great time of year for prescribed fire as well. You can really... Oh, work. yeah. They control Cerisa less, but these are really good with a fall burn, is what I've read. So, And woody hardwood species you don't want. You can really do some, some good right now if you get the right weather, which is the hardest part to come by for a growing season burn. But on your point of events, just a reminder, if you're in West Tennessee, on the 30th in Jackson, Tennessee, we're going to have a fishing rodeo for kids 16 and under starting at, registration will start at 8 a.m., and it's going to go till ten thirty, eleven o'clock, kind of whenever it seems like it's dying down. Uh, we're dumping 500 pounds of catfish in the pond at the Jackson Fairgrounds in Jackson, Tennessee.
0: Are those Jackson- live catfish or just fillets?
1: Yeah, we're going to keep them live at first. And then our next event might be a <laughs> fish fry. You know,
0: <laughs> we're going to dump 500 pounds of catfish fillets yeah. in you the cast pond at them and catch them with a treble <laughs> hook. Yeah. All right, I interrupted you. Go ahead. But now,
1: bring your kids if you're around here, or bring a kid. Get invite somebody who has a kid, 16 and under, that you want to get them outside on a beautiful fall morning. And I can confidently say they'll have a great chance at catching a fish. So yeah. it'll be at the Jackson Fairgrounds, September 30th, 8 a.m. That'll be that'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, that's all I got. I think that was a great favor of the week, and appreciate you guys listening hope y'all join us for part two next week. I don't think you'll want to miss it. I look forward to listening to it myself. So
0: see y'all next week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast.